is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Now, here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Hey, it's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie, and it's time for the Mulberry Lane Show. It's that time again, and we're so excited to meet you here, our music and artist-loving friends. That's right. You know what happens right here. Rachel, what is it? Well, you're going to fill up your creative tank today. Okay, well, sign me up for that. Stick around. You're going to meet some very creative people today. Let's not wait any longer, sisters. Let's get to the guests. The Mulberry Lane Show's on. Celebrity story songs. You're going to have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. Well, first up today, you're going to meet Bart Millard, lead vocalist for Mercy Me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Today you're going to hear about the movie out in theaters now called I Can Only Imagine After the Song. The movie is based on Bart's personal story, and since it's opening last weekend, it's broken all kinds of records and has pulled in over 17 million its first weekend. So hear from Bart today about how he wrote this massive hit of a song in the back of a bus and how the movie came to fruition. And you're also going to hear from Bart about his relationship with his father, and if you're going through a difficult time with someone in your life, he's got some great advice on forgiveness and moving forward so stay tuned for that with bart millard of mercy me okay sisters who else not very often do you get to interview a cartoon character but you guys you guys are in for a treat you're gonna meet twilight sparkle the lead pony in my little pony friendship is magic now tara strong is the actress behind the voice of twilight sparkles plus you're gonna know her from her other voices she does including harley quinn Raven from Teen Titans Go and many others that you're going to recognize. So you get a sample of all the voices she does, plus a preview of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, which airs on Discovery Family. And Tara has been nominated for an Emmy for her role as Twilight Sparkle. So get the behind-the-scenes story on one of the most famous voice actors in the business today. And she's got some advice if you want to break into this business. And the good thing about this is you don't ever need to dress up. You can wear your pajamas to your job. Yeah. Okay, Allie, who's next? Well, finally, you're going to meet Nebraska author Mary Kay Leatherman. Now, you met Mary Kay on our show once before with her novel, Vanity and Sanity. Now she's back to talk about her latest novel, Cowboys to Camelot. Hear all about the inspiration behind this haunting and romantic thriller. Mary Kay also shares how her characters haunt her to come to life. A very cool approach to writing you're really going to enjoy Mary Kay Leatherman. And another cool thing about Mary Kay is that if you're in a book club in Nebraska, Iowa, or anywhere, she will come to your book club and discuss the book after you've all read it. So check out her website, mkleatherman.com, to request an appearance. Okay, guys, just want to let you know there is going to be a pasta dinner benefit to support our cousin, Frankie Rizzuto, who was a victim of gun violence several weeks ago, and there will be a benefit dinner on Sunday, March 25th from 1 to 6 p.m. at the St. Peter Church. Mike DiGiacomo from The Morning Blend will be there. Corey from 80 
89.7 The River and former Husker Tony Felici will be there and yours truly Mulberry Lane will be singing Frankie a song. So if you guys want to come out for a great pasta dinner and some good times, Sunday, March 25th at St. Peter Church at 2706 Leavenworth. We'd love to see you guys there. Stay right here with us. Coming up next, you're going to hear all about the inspiration behind the song and movie, I Can Only Imagine. Bart Millard of Mercy Me is up next. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. Woo! Meet the celebrities on your radio station. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you guys know him as the lead singer for Christian band Mercy Me and as the songwriter who wrote the mega hit, I can only imagine, that boasts 1.5 billion impressions to date. Now, his life story and the inspiration behind that song has become the number three movie in the country. I can only imagine became the surprise hit movie that audiences are loving for its message of hope and redemption. Bart Miller is here right now to chat about all this, plus his book and Mercy Me's latest albums. Bart Millard on the show, Mercy Me, here we go, yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Well, congratulations on the success of the movie. It doubled the projected estimates. So what does that feel like? Oh, man, the whole thing's surreal. We were told a million and a half to two and a half million dollar weekend, like we wouldn't make our money back. And it did 17 million. And it's like right this minute, it's number one in the box office. It changes every hour, but like they just text me and it's, yeah, I don't know what's going on. We're just hanging on for the ride. That's so amazing. So now for someone who hasn't seen the movie, give a quick synopsis of what moviegoers are in store for. Well, it's the story of my childhood and early years of Mercy Me. And my parents divorced when I was three. And mom and dad, when I was third grade, and moved away. I lived with my dad from that point on. He turned out to be incredibly abusive towards me up until my freshman year in high school when he was diagnosed with cancer. At that point, this kind of journey of just the gospel completely changed him to where by the time he passed away my freshman year in college, he went from being a monster to being my best friend and the godless man I ever knew. And leaving the grave site, my grandmother said, I can only imagine what he's seeing now. And I became obsessed with that as a 19-year-old. And uh-huh. I was just like, thinking of him being in a better place was easier to swallow than an empty bedroom. Right. And so I used to write the phrase, I can imagine everything I get my hands on. Like if I was on hold or pin in my hand, I would be writing it down like crazy. And years later, I'm in Mercy Me, we're needing one more song for an independent record, and I'm trying to find a blank page in a journal just to start writing, and every page and every journal I had, I fully imagine written on it. So, so I was like, okay, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So I wrote it in about 10 minutes, and I knew it was special to me, but I had no idea what we were doing for. So now when you were recording that song in the studio, was there a magic even about the recording session, or was it just another song you were recording for the album? Uh, when we recorded for the independent record, it was funny because I wrote it on a bus in the middle of the night, about three in the morning is when I wrote it. And we were literally recording in a Sunday school building and in a church outside of Dallas, a kind of a makeshift studio. We went in, I showed the guys the lyrics, and I said, man, maybe it should go this way. And they wanted to make it like this fast song. And I was really frustrated. said, forget it. You know, we'll mess with it later. We got to get out of here. So we were packing up. And as we were packing up, our keyboard player hit those first three notes. And I was like, wait. Stop. And I went over there and started playing what he was playing. And we unpacked everything and recorded it really fast. And it was like, yes, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. And I, wow. you know, I wish I could say we knew what we were sitting on because we didn't play it live for almost a year after that because 
it was very personal. I didn't think of it like, this is a hit song. It's just, I need to get it out of my system. Okay. And it was like a church camp of all places. And they were like, hey, can you play that song? It's like the last song that you never play. And we're like, man, we don't even know it. And so while he's preaching, we're in the behind the, the curtain, like learning the song quietly. And when he finished, we played the song, the spotlight's hitting us so we couldn't see the crowd. And we finished the song, there was no applause or nothing. And we were thinking, this is the worst idea we've ever had. And when the lights came up, they were kind of all down crying and praying and stuff. And we were like, what just happened? And, uh, and it really reached people. It really touched them in a way that many other songs just don't. What do you think it is about that song? That's a great question. The only thing I can think of is there's no agenda. and We're not trying to shove anything down anybody's throat. You know, I think anyone who's ever taken a breath has wondered, okay, God, if this turns out to be real, like, how in the world am I possibly going to respond when I see you? Whether you've never darkened the door of a church or whether you've committed your life to it, we've all probably wondered and always hoped that there's something better. And so the song is just a bunch of questions. There's no answers to it. It's just, God, if this is how it turns out, how in the world am I going to react? There's nothing offensive about it at all. Because it is questioning, kind of which leaves it open-ended. Right. And if, if anyone's ever lost a loved one, I think we've all hoped that they're in a better place. Well, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Bart Miller, lead singer of Mercy Me, songwriter of the song I Can Only Imagine, and the movie I Can Only Imagine in theaters now tells the story of the writing of that song and about the relationship with his father. You're hearing all about it from Bart here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So when you were writing the phrase, I can only imagine, over and over in different notebooks, were you trying to write the song, or were you just writing the phrase, and then finally... No, like, when I was writing the phrase, I had never written a song in my life. I didn't start writing songs until probably two or three years before I actually wrote Imagine. My dad died in 91. I didn't write the song until 99. Okay. There were about eight or nine years of me, like, and this was before cell phones when phones were attached to the wall with a long cord and you can't go anywhere. And I would sit there with a pen in my hand. My grandma always thought I was practicing my autograph, but I would just be writing <laughs> Imagine over and over and over. And if I had a pen in my hand now, I would still do it. It's, it's just, just a it, part I did of it you. So it's it is like a knee jerk reaction. Uh-huh. Did you get the feeling then? All of a sudden, just to write the song on the bus. It was the only time in my life where it literally came out in about 10 minutes. And it was the only time I've ever written a lyric with no mistakes or no, like, crossing out words or anything. Wow. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it had been there for a long time. So you felt like it was a gift from God, probably. No question. I just happened to be there is what it feels like. Uh-huh. Yes, so to cool. write it down. You know, a lot of people who grow up in abusive households, you know, turn out to be abusers themselves. How did you right. break that cycle? Well, personally, I would say just, you know, my relationship with God is, is a huge part of that. The whole movie is about redemption and forgiveness. And I think we underestimate the power of forgiving someone. You know, sometimes we think when we don't forgive, we're holding someone else hostage and captive because of it. When that person has moved on long ago and is not even thinking about it, we're the ones that are held hostage and captive because we can't let it go. And it's, you know, it's hard to explain why it is, but man, when you're able to forgive someone, the healing that takes place in that, and that's whether you go to church or not, there's a healing thing in that when you're able to let go and forgive another person. And I think that holds true in my situation. Like, How old were you, you know, when you felt total forgiveness for your dad? My dad had cancer my freshman year in high school, my freshman year in college. And so in that four or five year period, about the last two years of his life, probably my junior, senior year, that's when it kind of took place because, like, I didn't want grace to be for him. Like, I was hurt and angry. And the change that took place was undeniable. But my dad would go in and out of hospice care. He would go through these really rough seasons. And we had a day nurse and we had a night nurse. So the night nurse was a guy that became, like, a member of the family because, you know, it's pretty intimate when you're a hospice nurse with people like this. And 
and he was killed in a car accident, and it really took a toll on my dad's health. And he was like, I can't go through that again. And so the day nurse, being a friend of the family, grew up in a small town, she did the paperwork to where it looked like we only needed a nurse during the day. And she told me, I'm going to teach you how to take care of your dad at night. I'll lose my job if anybody knows this, but you're going to do it. And so for those two years, when you're a teenager and you rarely talk to your parents at all, I'm sitting here and I had to give him this medicine that took about two hours to push through his IV. It was like this thick, thick stuff. Wow. Every night from two to four, that's what I had to do my junior, senior year, was sit with him for two hours in the middle of every night. Wow. And so we would have these unbelievable conversations for two years, everything from who I should and shouldn't be dating to what's going to happen after he's gone. And it's conversations that you're lucky to have once or twice at that time of your life as a teenage guy anyway. Uh-huh. You know, boys just don't sit and show their emotions like that. And I'm kind of forced to, to where I realize the change that's taking place in him is, is 100% genuine. And this is a dad I always dreamed of having. Once the trust set in, it was very easy to forgive him. And the only time I ever got angry at God was not during the abuse, because I don't know why, but it was when I got the dad I always wanted, and then he left me. And that's when I had the biggest struggle. Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Bart Millard, lead singer of Mercy Me, songwriter of the song I Can Only Imagine, and the movie out in the theaters called I Can Only Imagine, based on the true life relationship with his dad. Stay tuned for more of Bart's story here on the Mulberry Lane Show. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine. What my eyes will see Bringing you the stories behind the songs. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. If you've just joined us, you're listening to singer-songwriter Bart Millard, lead singer of Mercy Me, and writer of the mega-hit Christian song, I Can Only Imagine. Now, in the theaters right now, the movie I Can Only Imagine has smashed through predictions, becoming the number three movie in the country. It's based on the writing of that song and Bart's relationship with his dad. If you were along for the last segment, Bart was talking about how his father was very abusive. After being diagnosed with cancer toward the end of his life, he became the father that Bart had always wanted. Let's get back now with Bart Miller. So Bart, you said the only time you were mad at God was when you finally got the father you wanted and then he was taken from you. So how did you get over that? Oh man, it just took time. Like losing any loved one, you know, time kind of heals it. I think a lot of it was, you know, like when we're angry with someone or we're hurt and we don't want to forgive them, we can be really good at staying away from and letting that grudge and letting our mind just take over about how awful that person is. But when you're forced to talk to them, you have two hours a night for two years to where you realize, like, you know, my dad is genuinely remorseful and he's changing and he's not the person I've known most of my life. It's like when you're forced to sit there and see that a change is taking place, yeah. then that's when trust sets in. But half the time, like when we're upset with someone, we just avoid them and let it just build right. and build and build. We feel yeah. like that's easier. And then the other thing from your dad's perspective, he relied on you. He had to let his son help right. him who he had been so awful to. So that was probably very emotional for him as well. Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, my dad was a big, strong, like, he went from like 370 pounds to 112 pounds when wow. he passed away. Wow. You know, in his last few days, whenever the sheets would have to be changed, I would literally hold him like a baby in my arms while the nurse would change it. And it was humiliating for him. You know, I, mean, I never thought there'd be a movie about it, but the change was so huge in my life. And it literally, the reason I'm in ministry and I do this thing right now is because 
of what I saw happen to my dad. I've never seen it before and rarely seen since. But that was like, if yeah. God can change this guy, then God can change anybody. Yeah. Now, when you first saw the movie, do you yeah. feel like it really captured what happened? Uh, yes and no. The reason I say no is they're trying to cram 25 years of my life into an hour and 55 minutes. Exactly. So right. I don't want to say liberties. They didn't add much to it. They just couldn't get it all in there. They couldn't include it all. But at the same time, it hit a pain in me that I haven't felt since I was a teenager. So in that sense, yes, they hit something that I didn't think they would. I thought it would yeah. be kind of a fluffy Christian movie. I, didn't, I just didn't think they would go there. And they struck a chord with me to where, like, the, I walked out the first time I saw it because I just couldn't hurt too much. Wow. Like, I've had to watch it about 20 times to separate myself from it. And they told me, do this so that when it comes out, you're, you're okay. not a basket case. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yes, in that sense, they struck a chord to where it was like some of the things felt like they happened yesterday. It was painful and scary all the same time. And you had to face all that again. Yeah. Did they approach you to turn that uh, into yeah. a movie? Okay. Yeah, I was approached about eight years ago by a producer in Hollywood. She heard me tell some of the story on stage at a concert. And she thought there was a movie there. We didn't believe her. We're like, okay, good luck with that. And <laughs> for about five years, she would call me once or twice a year saying, okay, I still think there's a movie here. And we're like, all right, cool. And it wasn't until three years ago when the Irwin brothers got involved that it started taking shape. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is really going to happen. You know, am I emotionally and spiritually ready to not only dig up what I've been trying to bury most of my life and put it on a big screen, it's taken a while to kind of feel like I'm in a healthy place to tell the story. So even though eight years feels like a long time, I needed every bit of it to get to this point. Okay, and then watching someone play you, what was that like? <laughs> I was pretty cool. I mean, it was surreal at first. I mean, the guy that played me was Jean Valjean and Les Mis on Broadway. When oh, we wow. found him. And so we flew up to see him perform that. And I was like, hey, guys, he's a little overqualified. We just dumb this way down if he's singing our stuff. And, and so I was more worried for him. We're going to ruin his career. But he did a great job. And he's one of my dear friends. Like, we hit it off so well behind the scenes that there was a sense of, like, hey, man, I trust this part with him because we felt like we were separated at birth. And the actress who played your wife, they hit it off as well. Yeah, they've become really good friends, and she's a, it was funny, because the first time she saw my wife, the real Shannon, the actress, she broke down in tears, and she was like, I hope you're half the person that you are in the script, because you mean the world to me, and they've become really, really good friends. Wow, that's so awesome. Bart Millard, lead singer of Mercy Me, songwriter of the song I Can Only Imagine, and the subject of the movie I Can Only Imagine, is here with you on the Mulberry Lane Show. Now there's also a book. Yes, there is. Did the book come before or after the movie? It actually came during. When they were making the movie and, like, that question about it, how accurate is it, I got approached about, hey, man, you know, we know what it's like to make a movie. What do you think about writing a book, like, going into better detail as the movie's being made? And so, like, I'd watch them shoot stuff when I was writing the movie at the same time because it was like, oh, that reminds me. This is the time frame that it really took place and stuff like that. So it kind of went hand in hand. And then there's also The Very Best of Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine, is the latest release from Mercy Me, and that includes a lot of hits. Yeah, when this all took place, the labels, they've been wanting to do great hits for a while, and we always thought, man, that feels like we're retiring. Like, they're like, let's not get too carried away. And <laughs> when the movie came out, they were like, hey, man, people are going to be looking for your music left and right. Let's just put it in one place for the people that don't remember you. Now, that was the label's it, idea. But, is it considered kind of a soundtrack to the movie or not necessarily? No, it's not, because honestly, it was kind of a low budget. I don't want to say I thought the movie was going to fail. We didn't think it was going to be what it is. And anything with streaming and stuff like that, movie soundtrack really don't sell unless you're the greatest showman or something like that, okay. like they used to. And so the label's like, hey, man, the, the budget was, was getting up there, and we're like, 
let's just save as much money as we can. There is a big set of the soundtrack coming out Friday, but it's more of the score, but had no idea at the time. It was like, hey, I don't think we can afford to do a soundtrack. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then there's also the album Mercy Me. You guys released something in 2017. Yeah, our latest album is called Lifer. We've been touring that for like almost a year now, and it has a song called Even If that broke all the records that Imagine did years ago as far as the Christian charts. I think it went number one for like 20-something weeks, and it's, uh, Great. It's, we're having a blast with that. And then we're coming up on Easter, so do you have a message you'd like to leave with the listeners coming up this Easter season? Oh, man, as far as like if people see the movie, the one thing I want to take away is that we probably all know someone in our lives that we've kind of written off like there's no hope for them and that you kind of assume that God can't reach them. And my point is, I mean, if there's breath in our lungs, our story's still being written. So who are we to assume that it's going to end one way or the other? If you would have asked me who that would have been in my life, I would have said my dad a hundred times out of a hundred. But here we are with this crazy redemption story. And, and so we may have people in our lives that we think of, or maybe we think that way of ourselves. And I'm like, man, as long as you're breathing, there's always reason to hope. And when we lose hope is when you're in trouble. And I just wanted people to know that, man, your story's still being written. You don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't either, but there's reason to hope for the best as long as we're here. Otherwise, you know, we're kind of wasting our time. Love that. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful message this time of year. And Bart, we want to thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a pleasure getting to know you better and hearing all about the behind the scenes from you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. That's Bart Millard of Mercy Me. Make sure you guys check out the book, the new albums, and of course, the movie, I Can Only Imagine, in theaters now. Well, if you're a fan of My Little Pony, stay tuned. Tara Strong, who's been the voice of many animated roles, will tell you all about her career in the latest season of the My Little Pony series. Get animated right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine I can only imagine Music, arts, and lifestyle. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you may not know her name, but you definitely know her voice. As the voice of Bubbles in the Powerpuff Girls and Raven in Teen Titans, Emmy-nominated actress Tara Strong may be best known for the voice of lead pony Twilight Sparkle in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Now, it's just starting its eighth season on Discovery Family. Tara is here right now to add some magic to your weekend. Twilight Sparkle, Tara Strong, Magic Friendship, come along. Oh, I love that intro. <laughs> well, it's great to have a voiceover actress. I think you're our first voiceover actress on the show. So we have to ask wow. you, how did you get into this? Uh, well, I started when I was 13. I grew up in Toronto, and I knew when I was four or five years old that I wanted to be a performer, and I wanted to sing and dance and act, and... Um, I finally got an agent when I was 13, and my, one of my first auditions was for Hello Kitty, okay. uh, which I booked. And then, um, literally, the rest is history. I did quite a bit of 
TV, film, and theater in Toronto before moving to Los Angeles. And I honestly didn't know that voiceover was going to be the primary of my career, but I certainly have no complaints. It's been a really fun ride. So now, were you always good at doing voices? Was that something you kind of played at as a kid, or...? Oh, yeah. I mean, every animal we had had a voice. Every stuffed animal had a voice. My sister and I used to have our own little fake radio station that we put on tape. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, you know, I used to grab my mom's hand and say, let's pretend we're from England when we go in the store. And I always did funny voices. Um, okay. And, you know, taking singing lessons from a young age, I'm sure you know, too, kind of teaches you what your voice is capable of. Definitely. So, um, yeah, all those things kind of came into play. So now um, when you audition with these characters, do you kind of play around with your voice till you feel like, okay, this is this character? How do you settle on the voice for the character? Oh, yeah. When you have an audition for an animated role, they'll give you a drawing of the character, a character description, sometimes a show Bible, and then what's called sides, which is a portion of the script. And okay. you as the actor have to try and think what the production wants that character to sound like. And then with that said... You make a choice, and then they'll say, now we want it to be two years older. Okay. Now okay. we want her to be a little chubby. Now we want braces. Now we want her to be a boy. Now we want wow. that boy to be from England. So wow. <laughs> you kind of have to be ready to play. Yeah. So then once you book it, do you do anything in the studio to help you get into character? Do you wear anything that reminds you of the character? Not typically, because, um, you know, I'll be doing sometimes three jobs a day, so okay. that would be quite a few wardrobe changes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but, you know, I do try to read the scripts in advance if I get time, and I bring a lot of different drinks with me to kind of keep me interested and, and hydrated. Okay. And um, if there's a song that we need to learn, we obviously prep that in advance. And, you know, the voiceover sessions for animated shows are uh, usually group recording, so it's very okay. collaborative. We get to play off the other actors. It's fun. Okay, how fun. So now what can you tell us is going to happen in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic this season? So the premiere is the 24th at 1130. All this week they're doing Pony Palooza. They're going to be playing everyone's favorite episodes with Yankovic and Patton Oswalt. And then the premiere takes place after the movie. Okay. It's a two-part opener. And, you know, after Twilight's gone out into the world, she realizes that she's got a lot more work to do. So she opens up her very own friendship school. Okay. And that, of course, comes along with its own challenges and Wacky Adventures. We have a new sea pony joining us, the sea pony hippogriff. We have a griffin, a dragon, a new pony, along with all the ponies that everyone's grown to love. Okay. Right now on the Mulberry Lane Show, we're talking with voice actress Tara Strong. She's been nominated for an Emmy for her role as Twilight Sparkle, the lead pony in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. And the eighth season is about to begin on Discovery Family. And My Little Pony has been around for 35 years, so there's many fans of all the different ponies. Uh, yeah, 35 years. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, and then, you know, Twilight Sparkle opens her own friendship school, but you have your own voiceover school as well. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I really have to update it. It's called Voice Stars, but it was with CDs. This is how long ago we did it. Okay. My husband's been bugging me, and I just have to have the time to sit down and film it uh, again so that it can be streamable. But if people are really interested, D. Baker has a free website. If you Google D-E-E Baker, that has all kinds of free information on how to break in. But I always tell people to take as many acting classes as they can, singing lessons, scene study, improv, so that you're ready to go when you're in a studio situation and they throw something crazy at you because a lot of what we do is confidence and feeling ready. I was going to say, you can't really have any inhibitions in the studio. Right, exactly. Uh -huh. So now, before we let you go, we have to hear your voices. So let's first hear Twilight Sparkle. Dear Princess Lestia, today I spoke to some really cool singer chicks on the radio. Spike with 
Walmart. <laughs> okay. Now let's hear Bubbles in Powerpuff Girls. I'm just as tough as Blossom and Buttercup. I'm hardcore. Okay. And uh, my kids love Raven in Teen Titans. As their Asmetrium <laughs> Ben? Ben 10? Don't be such a dweeb. Go in hero. And Harley Quinn. Oh, this is a fun show. Have you seen my fun anywhere? <laughs> and just like that, you can switch up. So any advice for someone who wants to get into voiceover work? Take all kinds of acting classes, singing lessons, and then if you do have a good local class where you can get some studio time in front of a microphone, that would be great. My biggest advice is never, ever, ever pay to audition. I see a lot of these companies popping up on the Internet, and it makes me infuriated. No one I know has become successful because they ever paid to audition. Okay. So go onto the SAG website and find reputable agents in your area. And, you know, once you're ready, you make a demo tape and then you submit it to all your local agents and just hope for the best. If you have a friend at an agency that's reputable, a recommendation is always the best way to get in. Okay, great advice. And then can we get a send-off from Twilight Sparkle? This is Twilight Sparkle, and you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show. They're so sweet. Mike, what's your cutie mark? I hope all your dreams come true. Your faithful student, Twilight Sparkle. <laughs> I love it, Tara. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Famous cartoon voice actress, Tara Strong, here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Be sure to check out My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. It's eighth season. Starts this weekend, March 24th, on Discovery Family. We'll be right back here on the Mulberry Lane Show with Nebraska author Mary Kay Leatherman and her new novel, Cowboys to Camelot. Stay right here with us. We've got you covered. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you met her here a while back when she released her debut novel, Vanity Insanity. Omaha author Mary Kay Leatherman is back with her latest release, Cowboys to Camelot, which weaves the story of a newly single mom coming to terms with her situation, the cowboy ancestors who impacted her life, and a look at sex trafficking in the city that both the author and main character love, Omaha. Welcome, welcome to the show, Mary Kay Leatherman. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great to okay, have you. so now there's a lot of themes running through this novel. How did this all come together for you? Well, it's interesting because actually the cowboy piece was written about 20 years ago. Uh, my dad had told me all these stories, and I, I would save them for him. And then suddenly this other story kept haunting me, almost like the ghost in the story, right? Okay. And so then they kind of came together in a way that just worked perfectly for Isn't me. Isn't that so. amazing how things eventually tie together? Absolutely. If you wait long enough. <laughs> yeah, if you wait 20 years, right? <laughs> now, the cowboy part of the story, talk about how your dad and his uncles, how that all came about and found its way into the story. Okay, so absolutely. My dad grew up in Brush, Colorado with these uncles who uh, I swear were almost more father figures to him than anything. Um, he spent his summers there and he learned, you know, the solid rules of a cowboy, uh, be nice to women and, and don't complain and work hard. There and six uncles, right? Yes. So it's almost like he was raised around six John Waynes, kind of. Absolutely. And then there was the one that always kind of stood out. And I remember meeting these uncles and they were bigger than life and handsome and 
they've had, you know, the big buckles and the hats and everything, you know. And so it was always surprising to me that he did not stay a cowboy. He knew it was a rough life, and he knew he wanted to raise his family where it wasn't so challenging. But yet he's learned so much, and every once in a while when he'd talk about them, he'd, you know, fall back into that cowboy draw. (laughs) (laughs) And it really affected you and kind of inspired a lot of the backstory of this novel. Right, right. And for Annie Day, who's raising a little boy by herself and she wants him to be a man, she keeps her father close at hand, you know. There's a lot of you in Annie. Um, you know what? Everyone tells me that, and I can't deny it. I taught high school English, and I love teaching juniors, and I taught American Lit. So I guess, yeah, okay. you would have to say there is a lot of, yes. Now, there's also a social commentary side to this book as well. So talk right. a little bit about how that came into the story. Okay, well, what I knew is that in these two stories, as I held them up together, and I wanted a lot of parallels between the stories, I knew there had to be a love story in each, and I knew there had to be something scary or, you know, a tragedy. And in the story of the Cowboys, it was the murder and the abusive wife. But in the story of the high school, I kept struggling with what I was going to do. And I asked my husband, what could be going on? You know, what's the bad thing? And he said, well, they could be stealing electronics. And I'm like, "Mm, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know if that just doesn't feel right. And then one day my daughter, who is now, she's almost graduated from college, but she was like a sophomore at Marion High School, and she came home, and she said, Mom, you wouldn't believe, you know, we had a speaker come, and it's someone who had been through that serious situation, and when she started speaking to me, uh, my heart was broken on two levels. A, that this was happening in Omaha, and it really is the big thing in the Midwest more than people would know. Sex trafficking. Yes. And second, that my 16-year-old daughter was aware of it, but, you know, she needed to be aware of it, but it was a sadness about that. I can see that, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where it came from. You know, when I taught, I did have a situation where someone was with the Witness Protection Program, and I mm. didn't know that. You know, and so you don't know what's in front of you, and sitting in those seats, they all look like they're just students. Right. <laughs> and they all have backstories. Yes. Uh-huh. So now, how long did this take to write? Once the two stories came together, I would say about three months, and it was literally a haunting, you know, like I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and I'd know where I was going the next day, and something was stuck, I'd just pray about it, and then boom, there it would, you know, so it came very quickly. Right, right. So when you get in those modes where, you know, the muse hits you, and you're just writing a lot, do you cut back on, like, social activities and maybe cut out some things in your life just to get the book done? Um, absolutely. I have such a great husband, as I mentioned before, with Vanity and Sanity. He is my cheerleader, and he knows when I say I'm on a roll. And then even when I hit a wall, and I'll say, I'm so stuck in this story, silly, and I don't know what I'm working on right now. And he's like, take a break. It's intentional. You come back and revisit it. But, you know, it, sometimes it comes when I'm super busy, and I just have to uh, kind of balance it all. That's usually so. when all the ideas come, is when you, you can't stop and sit down and write. Right, and you guys would know that as artists. <laughs> Well, a quick shout out to your husband, though, because I think so much of a part of a success of someone is how their spouse is with your creativity, you know. Yes, and my sister. I, I My sister is still along for the ride. Give a shout out to Robin Boyk. She actually has her own editing service, which started as her just liking to read my things and then doing so well at kind of helping me shape my story and editing. She's edited several books this year, so anyone looking to edit a book, Robin Boyk. Okay. And then a shout out to my dad and his stories, even though I changed some names and changed some things to fit my story. Those are his words and his stories. So it's a family affair. It is, and I also must include my mom, who's been on this journey from the beginning as a supporter. Um, She passed away in August, but 
she's a reader and still a cheerleader. Dad, was she able to read the whole book before she passed? Yes, she was. She was. And what was her take on it? Oh, she loved it. She had it on Kindle, and she'd open it every day so that the Kindle would say, Cowboys to Camelot, out loud, by Mary Kay. (laughs) So, yes, and I still feel her uh, supporting me. I'm sure. I love that. Well, right now you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show, and we're talking with author Mary Kay Leatherman, Nebraska author who has a brand new novel, Cowboys to Camelot. You have three sisters, and Robin is one of them. So were your other two sisters involved? Absolutely. My other sister, Julie in Omaha, she was one of the readers. And my sister, Patty, in Texas, she had several book signings where we went to people who had read Vanity and Sanity. We have a following in Houston, Texas. Also was very blessed. Right before Christmas, went down and was one of the 20 visiting authors. The John Cooper School has a national author come every year. And this year, it was the author of Girl on the Train. And we got to be the little humble visiting authors, got to sell our books after her presentation. So we have a presence in Houston, Texas, and awesome. that's kind of fun, even though they are reading about Omaha, Nebraska. Some of them have never even been here, but they like the stories, so that's good. And there's a lot of things that people will recognize about Omaha if they live here or used to live here. Right. And, you know, what happened during 2008, 2009. Uh-huh. Yeah. So do you have a sequel, or will this continue, or will you start with the brand new? Well, I'm actually working on something else that's been haunting me. It's not a sequel, uh, with a working title, Precocious Truth. And surprise, surprise, it's in Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> and it's about a little girl in uh, the summer of 1976 who thinks her life is perfect, and the next day wakes up and her mom's gone, and she realizes everything about her life probably wasn't what she thought it was. Okay. So it's a mystery again. So is this um, inspired by any true events? Or? You know, this one isn't. You won't see me in it. The voices are, are foreign to me, but I'm getting to know them and getting to love them. And that's where you, you know, when you really feel for your characters and what's going on with them, that you find their voice. Uh-huh. So, so now you've used the term haunting several times. Yes. So you, you feel haunted by your characters. Is that how you kind of know that's the direction you need to go? This almost a haunting feeling. Well, and you know what? It's probably the Holy Spirit and inspiration, but I do know I feel that I'm not in charge a lot of times. And I have, if you go down into my basement, my husband has given me a full wall of where all my ideas are, and I think I'm working on one idea, and this other idea says, no, I'm going next. Okay. You know, I'll start writing and writing. This other story keeps coming at me and or haunting me. Yeah. And uh, so there was another book I had started writing, and it was knee-deep in it, and I had it all planned out, and this other little girl keeps telling me, no, I need to tell my story. And so that's neat. It's like I have all these little stories sitting in a row, and and who's next? Who wants to step up? (laughs) You're very open to that. I am, Uh yeah. Have you always been, or did you have to learn to go with that feeling? Oh, gosh, you always ask great questions. And you know, because I think you being an artist, I think I used to be thinking, I'm in charge, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is how long it will take. And then I realized I'm not in charge, (laughs) and it will take the time it needs. And then when I gave that control up, I think that's when the stories have been better for me. Uh We totally relate to that. You guys get that. that. And it's almost more fun. I know. Did you always want to be an author? Yes. Bought my first copy of To Kill a Mockingbird. There was a big garage sale at Creighton Prep when I was in fifth grade. So we're talking back in the 70s. And I remember just shutting the door, reading the book, and thinking when it was over, I, I missed the characters. And I thought to resonate, as you guys do. I mean, you guys are wonderful artists, and your music resonates with people. And that's really what we want, telling our story or singing your song. You want someone the next day to be thinking of that song or singing right. that song or remembering those characters. To be 
wanted. Yes, that's absolutely in a good way, right? In a good right. way. Because there are some ghosts in my story too, right? Right. So in more ways than one. Yes. Okay, so what is your website or where can people get their hands on the book? They can go to mkleatherman.com. Also, I have been going around the city and in, in Texas to book clubs, and I love doing that. This Thursday, I'll be down in Nebraska City with Bonnie and her book club. So anyone who's interested, you know, Vanity and Sanity and Cowboys to Camelot, whatever they're reading, I would love to come and be a part of that. to have a book club with the author joining. Right. Uh, what a great experience. Well, and it's a, a great experience to speak to Omaha because if you go to the website, I have pictures of all of the book clubs and the story behind their book club. Yes. Okay, well, Mary Kay, it's always fun to catch up with you in your latest project, so it sounds like there's going to be another one around the corner. Yeah. I'd love to chat about that when it comes out. I would love to. You guys are awesome. So are you. Thank you. That's author Mary Kay Leatherman. Make sure you check out mkleatherman.com if you want her to appear at your book club. Mary Kay, thanks for sharing your heart and the inspiration behind Cowboys to Camelot. Sisters, who else do we need to thank? Well, a huge shout out to voice actress Tara Strong. Thanks, Tara, for bringing your personality and your fabulous voices to the show today. And be sure to put the series My Little Pony Friendship is Magic on your radar. It's beginning its eighth season this weekend on Discovery Family. So grab the little ones in your life and have some fun. And Mercy Me, we gotta thank Bart Millard, lead singer of Mercy Me, and his life is the inspiration behind the song and the movie I Can Only Imagine, which is out in theaters right now. Thanks, Bart, for telling in detail how you wrote this massive hit and for sharing with us your journey of faith and your journey in forgiving your father and your willingness to share your story. Make your way to the theater this weekend and check out I Can Only Imagine. All right, well, that wraps up another weekend for the Mulberry Lane Show. We're glad you guys were along for the ride. We love having you here every weekend. And remember, we'll be here same time, same place next weekend. So you guys be right there. And that's in order. (laughs) Exactly. Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. (laughs)